Yeah. So I, I mean, I a hundred percent, uh, I, I didn't, th- there were balance issues. I don't know if they were necessarily signs. Of, I think they're signs of a just normal developmental de- development process in the game, but the production issues were huge. I remember at one point demoing the game to somebody and they wanted union. And this was right at the point where they kind of discontinued a lot of their metal models and it was just couldn't buy it. Regular listeners already know uh, how much I like Guild Ball. Um, I think Guild Ball is probably one of the best mini games that's ever been made. But um, it's had quite a roller coaster of a ride uh, from a Kickstarter that was successful to really being maybe the apex of mini competitive gaming to its eventual demise. I have three former Guild Ball podcasters on the show to talk about that entire journey from uh, how they found out about it, why they fell in love with it, uh, when it was the uh, apex of competitive gaming to uh, signs of its demise. And then finally, when Streamforge uh, ended the game. So sit back and enjoy the rise and fall of Guild Ball. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we have three tabletop gamers that once loved playing Guild Ball from Steamforged Games. Now, listeners know that I'm a fan of Steamforged and Guild Ball. In fact, it was the game that made me realize I could play with miniatures and use a modern tight rule set that was balanced. Now, you know my first guest, Pete. Uh, he's one half of the Rage Quit Wire podcast. He's been on the show a few times now. Rage Quit. Rage Quit Wire got started featuring a ton of Guild Ball content. So, Pete, welcome back to the third floor. Glad to be back, Craig. It's always good to come up to the third floor and talk a little bit of nerding with you. So, dude, you guys have been putting out some pretty strong Malifaux content lately. Yeah, we got through a lot of the, uh, like, faction content, just like faction guides, because uh, I think I was talking with you and a lot of guys about it where I was like, there's just not one spot you can go to and say, Hey, this is kind of what the guilds or the factions are like. So yeah, it's just something we started putting out. I got some people from the community and they turned out pretty good. And we're going to start cranking out probably some more how to work with your schemes and pools a little bit. So that's kind of our next step with Malfo. That's fantastic, man. So gaming wise, what have you been doing? I've been bouncing around a little bit, you know, as I do. Um, I actually demoed infinity, which I know Mike's going to be happy to talk about a little bit. And I also started playing a little Christ Protocol because, you know, the X-Men stuff came out and I love X-Men. So I've been bouncing around a little bit. Nice. Very, very nice. So my second guest is Michael Klein. Now, he was a top Guild Ball player. Um, He also used to have his own podcast devoted to Guild Ball. So, Michael, welcome to the third floor. Thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to be here. Yep. So the, I don't know. I don't know who put top uh, player. That must have been Pete. <laughs> it was. <laughs> he he has he has rolled a die and moved a model. Is what it should say. Is that what you? 
I did I did decently well when when we were when we were playing games in person and all of that. So let's just say Mike is the southern champion a couple times. <laughs> now, that, that, that's the southern part of his town or the country. No, I went down to I went down to Pete's neck of the woods uh, and taught them how to play goat ball. Very nice. True. So, Michael, there was a time where you knew nothing about rolling dice, knew nothing about miniatures, and then you've discovered them. So give me your story, man. How did you find tabletop miniatures? Um, well, that time was probably about when I was 11, 12 years old, I, I would say. Um, did the whole, you know, Warhammer thing. Um, then I found out that I like, um, you know, women and uh and that thing and that happened for high school for a while then college and i realized um you know tabletop gaming wins wins out uh <laughs> and uh started doing that again did you know i i don't know i played a bunch of uh games everything from games workshop played infinity since it was uh a young game played guilt ball when it you know started becoming popular uh bounced around a couple of other games as well so but what was the gateway, Mike? So you you said you started off with GW stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, orcs and Necrons and Space Marines and stuff like that. And how did you find it? Uh, you know, so I'm uh, originally from New Jersey. There was a, a cool little game store called The Only Game in Town uh, that wasn't too far away. And I think uh, some friends invited me over and I saw cool little models and i thought i totally could do that and then i found out later that i'm incredibly terrible at building and painting models but <laughs> i do like uh i do like playing them so you know that stuck around very cool very cool my last guest is johnny wetzika also a top table player of guild ball so johnny welcome to the third floor hi thanks for having me it's cool being here so same, yeah. same question to you johnny uh how did you discover tabletop gaming uh, well, uh, when I was, I want to say like in third grade, uh, neighbors got me into magic cards and then that led to the game store. And then from the game store, I saw the, uh, craft world. I end in a boxer like Eldar for 40 K and I was like, holy crap, those are so cool. I need to get them. And then got those as a birthday gift, assembled them, horribly painted them cause I was 12. And then, yeah, from there kind of moved on and <laughs> oh, there's the dogs. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that is that is the signature of all my podcasting is that my dogs are in the background. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So then from there, uh, kind of evolved to other games, started playing like Fantasy Battle from there, uh, then eventually War Machine. And then from War Machine, played Guild Ball uh, after like the Oz Machine podcast, like talked about that briefly. And they kind of went to that. And then I got hooked and then just started playing more Guild Ball. And then that eventually took over. Very, very cool. So, guys, the four of us are going to uh, kind of do a walk down memory lane. We're going to talk about the rise and fall of Guild Ball. We're going to talk about uh, where Guild Ball started, how each of us found Guild Ball, started playing Guild Ball, talk about really Guild Ball at its height, um, what Guild Ball did right. And then uh, we'll talk about kind of what happened since then, um, how uh, the game kind of stalled and then eventually uh, was shut down by Steam Forged. So, we're going to take a quick break and we get back from uh, this break we're going to talk about why we fell in love with guild ball we'll be right back hi i'm james hahn and i'm a patron of third floor wars because i'm a henchman who loses most of his games and the podcast has tons of valuable information to improve your play as well as what to expect from other crews you can support them too the link is in the show notes or just search for third floor wars on patreon.com 
What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. Time to give a shout out to our newest patrons. A big special thanks goes to James Kahn, Rage Quit Wire, Deck Roll, Aloy, Robo Rotten, Jacob Suderman, Joshua Hatch, Donald Kroger, John Fox, and David Gadea. Because of you and the 100 plus that are supporting us on Patreon, we're able to put out regular content on a weekly basis. We appreciate it. So you guys that have been listening for a while have heard me talk about Gill Ball before um, and how to, to this day I consider it probably one of the tightest rule sets I've ever come across. Um, but uh, and there's no point going over my story uh, of how I found Gill Ball. I've told it more than a few times. Um, but I'd be curious for you, Mike. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you've been playing GW games and um, – Maybe uh, now, did you start Infinity before Guild Ball? What was first? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So Infinity was probably, uh, let's see, it's 2020. We were looking at probably, we're looking at over, over 10, 11 years ago, I think. Infinity was probably right around that college time. I was like playing GW games, started playing Infinity, did that for quite a few years, and then, um, and then started, you know, switching over to Guild Ball right around the beginning. I think it was basically the release of season two, right. um, more or less. I remember, I remember, you know, the the starting of uh, releasing some veteran players and some additional captains after the Kickstarter. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, jumped into it there. Uh, I think I had gotten a, a a demo from some people who definitely kickstarted it back in New York, uh, where I was at the time, because I remember them ta- trying to get me to kickstart, you know, kickstart it. And I was like, this is a great game and I'll buy it, but I'm not going to kickstart. Uh, but that's just cause I hate kickstarter. Uh, but yeah, so I started around then. So what was the initial attraction then, Mike? What, what made you go, huh? I, I, I think I want to look into this and maybe even got you to even buy into it. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with what you say about the tight rule set. Like I started off, you know, playing and I was like, wow, this actually like it goes together. It makes sense. Uh, The rules seemed pretty tight and they obviously got even tighter um, after that point. Yep. But uh, that combined with the fact that it was just like it was an interesting change because i mean other than blood bowl you didn't have you know a ton of really popular non i mean it's a fighting game but not like traditional fighting two armies lining up and and you know hitting each other and and that kind of uh sports aspect was really was really interesting to me from like an aesthetics point of view so yeah it definitely had a different feel to it right i mean i remember when the kickstarter for me what sold me on it and it's funny because the game I would kickstarted was not the game I ended up getting. And that's my fault. Not, not steam Forge. Like in my mind, I thought it was going to be like soccer through the town square with a ton of terrain and stuff like that. And it ended up not really being a game with a ton of terrain. There was terrain and stuff there. Um, but it ended up, I ended up liking the game anyway. Uh, how about you, Johnny? What was kind of the, when did it get on your radar and what, what made you say, you know what, I think I want to invest in this game. Uh, so for me, I think like when I like finally got like a demo and stuff, like, 
I guess it was more. Actually, never mind. It's your, uh, so it was more so like the miniatures, like really, really like drew drew me to it. And then also like the rule set was super tight. It was basically like chess with dice. Is kind of what it yeah. felt like. And for me, I was like a big chess player through all through like high school and stuff. Played like varsity chess. So that was like a bigger draw, even from like War Machine and from like just big armies like fighting and everything. So, uh, so from there, like it like just kind of pulled me in and like made me want to play it more and more. And then like I got like some locals involved, and then that's kind of how. I started playing more because otherwise, like, I'm pretty much in like my own little basement meta by myself. <laughs> so, yeah, I was pretty much getting the other basement people in. So, um, so Mike mentioned, you know, the theme was a factor. The fact that it that it looked and felt different. Um, it wasn't just two armies in a pitched battle that attracted him. Did the theme matter at all to you? Uh yeah, I think it. Like for me, like I like the soccer theme and everything too. It was like kind of like a fun take on a miniature game because there really hadn't been anything else that was like sports related other than like blood bowl and blood bowls very games workshoppy with like 1d6 <laughs> determines your entire fate on everything and that was just <laughs> no, a little too binary for me yeah i wasn't a fan but yeah guild ball like very much rewarded your decisions and it was like the thinking man's kind of game and that yeah. was definitely for me so very cool how about you pete now you came in a little bit later than these guys when did it get on your radar so I was actually playing a lot of War Machine and Hordes, and I was actually the press ganger, and they were going through an addition change. So I remember when I was really kind of getting the group going and it was getting pretty big in our area for War Machine, there was a couple guys in our meta that picked up this little soccer game, and I was like, you guys are idiots. I'm like, what? I'm like you're wasting your time on this game. It's like War Machine, War Machine, War Machine. But after this, after the addition change, a lot of the changes for War Machine I wasn't a fan of, and then they cut the Press Ganger program, so I was a little salty after that. Anybody that knows me knows kind of like when you screw me over, I don't want to be a part of your thing anymore. So I started going to a new shop that just opened up, and my buddy Chris on the podcast was like, hey, dude, I used to play this game. It's, you know, Guild Ball, and just check it out. So I got a demo from him. And I still remember he had a couple of guilds lined up and I picked the morticians because they were kind of like the goth, you know, kind of spooky kids. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. And then we started getting into it. And it was one of those games where it was simple to learn after the first turn, you could pretty much play a whole game. But there were so many little intricacies that made it really interesting. And then once I figured out that Steamforge Games was trying to screw you out of money, because they were like, hey, here's all the rules, cards, and fluff online. It's all free. Enjoy. I was like, man, this is this is a little different. This is a type of game that, you know, I'm not used, I haven't been used to playing. I've been used to companies like, uh, you know, Games Workshop and yep. Privateer Press that screw you out of every little dime they can take out of you. Yeah, it's easy to forget how ahead of the curve Steamforged was as far as as far as putting that stuff out there. And partially because now it's almost a standard right now. Companies are like, what the hell? Why aren't you putting it out there now? Um, But it is it's easy to forget um, that Steamforged was with ahead of the game. Now, for you, Johnny, was it uh, was there a period of time where all you did was think, live and breathe and play Gilball? Oh, yeah, there was like so like with uh, I think like going from season two to three was kind of when I like kind of went full all in. Cause I was like a big war machine player as well and everything. It was so like pretty much where well, Gilball was a side game at that point. And then once like season three happened, I was like, well, this game's just infinitely better to like war machine, especially like Mark three war machine was pretty poopy and sad. So I was like, Nope, I'm out of here. And then all in on Gilball from there. So. And now with war machine, did you play war machine competitively? 
I did, yeah. I played that competitively from I want to say like 2010 until I want to say like 2014 or actually like 15, 16, I guess. So, and what what did you, how did you feel about the competitive scene with Guild Ball? Uh, Guild Ball, I thought it was like the game was like designed for like the competitive player is what it like felt like because all the tournaments and everything like it was structured so well like the game just like ran so tightly and everything there weren't like many like role questions and if there were there was pretty clear cuts like decisions for those and there was never any like gray area and rules lawyering with like compared to like war machine where it's pretty tight for the most part but even so there's still a lot of like loose space yeah the fact the fact that the rule book was like so small i think the rule book was like a total of 50 pages maybe and that included like flow charts and stuff whereas fluff and stuff in it too Yeah. yeah whereas if you came from like games workshop or privateer press I mean, it might take you 30 minutes to actually find the rule that you need to figure out. Pete, you mean if you came from, if you came from infinity, <laughs> it took you 30 minutes. After you found the line of sight and see if you have cover or not, right? After, if you, after you determined if the translation from Spanish to English was uh, correct or not. But Mike, you you and Peter are better people than I am. I have tried to to play Infinity. I've tried, and I just it's 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 just too much for me. But now let's go back to Guild Ball. So uh, how about for you, Mike? Like uh, I know you. I mean, you hell, you had a podcast uh, about Guild Ball. I mean, how much how much time, uh, months, years did you spend where Guild Ball was was your game? Yeah, uh, a good number. I'm trying to think um, exactly when it started, but. Uh, you know, I had done some Infinity podcasts, and then we got into Guild Ball. The local scene was decent, but New York's always a weird place for for miniature games. So I was do I started doing a bunch of traveling, um, and at the time, the uh, Philadelphia guys were very active, um, and that that meta was very active. So I started doing some traveling, and I think. Uh, yeah, after a couple of tournaments with them, it started. You know, I was I was hooked into the game. I think there was a good maybe what uh four or five years we're talking about roughly in the realm of where you know it was pretty serious doing the podcast although i never took that seriously um i mean i went to i went to (laughs) i went to poland uh you know to play uh go ball internationally um so you know the first time i'd ever done that even for infinity um you know which i had been i'd say you know pretty competitively in uh yeah so guild ball had a lot you know i was definitely pretty uh i was pretty bought in so what what was it? What was Guild Ball giving you that Infinity wasn't? How did it win out for that period uh, of time? <laughs> I'd say actually probably nothing specific. Both games are really good. They had different. I think the communities are a little bit different. So when I jumped into Guild Ball, uh, there also wasn't a there was a Infinity community in New York, but similar to Guild Ball, again we we always had to travel. Um, yeah. And then I think what I found was just the ease of. Uh, traveling and and doing tournaments for Guild Ball was a lot uh, simpler. And then you know I think um, why what made, it sim- I, what made it simpler? I mean, there's no there's barely any terrain uh, compared okay. to inf- Infinity, where you basically have literally to, traveling uh, is easier. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally traveling. Um, and I think one of the big things I was still playing Infinity, but I went to Gen. I used to go to Gen Con for Infinity tournaments. Went like one or two years, and then I think the third year I went to Gen Con, I did both Infinity and Guild Ball, and uh, met the Chicago guys and. Uh, 
you know, got to play in the, at the time it was the guild ball. I think they wanted, I think they called it the national championship. I did, they didn't really have the same uh, exact structure, but you know, the ease of being able to travel and play guild ball um, and the community was really great. So like, you know, it was again, different community than infinity. Both are really good, but that uh, community was really cool. So I, you know, dove in. How about for you, Pete? Did you find that the community was different than the War Machine community? Ooh, man, I tell you, the community, it, it, it would be different because Guild Ball, and eventually people would argue, and we might get to this going towards the end of Guild Ball, but the, it was a really unique game because you had a really clean set for tournaments, which made it really competitive. But when Steamforge was into season two and three, they did some major campaigning for like the casual player and the metas. And I remember about six months into it, they did the unions in chain event in chains event. And that was an event where literally you logged games on their website and determining how many logged games there were for each guild that would determine what new model was released for the winning guild. They paired off like two different guilds and one of those guilds was going to get a new model. And I just remember playing in that and just seeing the tournament scene. I mean, some of the tournaments were, I mean, you could go to a, a 40-man tournament for Guild Ball easily. Pretty much wow. almost anywhere in the United States, I would argue. Especially in the Northeast, Chicago, uh, the Southeast, we start getting really big in it too. Um, Bill uh, up in Virginia always had these huge Guild Ball tournaments every year. And it was just something that I hadn't seen with a, with a mini game. I hadn't seen that much devotion and dedication and that many people willing to play it at a high level. But even though, like, I could play Mike and Mike would, like, trounce me in a game, right? Mike and I would still have a really great time playing that because there's still, even when you're losing, there's still some really interesting moments that can happen. Like, Mike would argue that maybe I shouldn't counterattack at a certain moment in a game because the math's not there and that's more Mike style than mine. But when I do counterattack and I get this amazing result and I, like, slam his model, you know, four inches away, those moments are awesome. And it doesn't matter if I'm getting my butt kicked it's still really fun to play. And I think that's what Guild Ball did an excellent job capturing. So I'd be curious. Those moments, oh, go ahead. No, Mike, yeah. go. <laughs> I was going to say, those moments were awesome, but they also mostly existed in Pete's head. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> and in my heart. And in my he heart. was like, it's totally going to happen. It's totally going to happen. This time, it's going to happen. I'm an optimist. Pete's favorite phrase. Uh, imagine if that worked. <laughs> it did. One percent of the time. <laughs> so I'd be curious, Johnny, when you kind of look. No, well, first of all, uh, Johnny, for you, do you still play Guild Ball? Uh, I do. Yeah, I'm playing pretty regularly. Uh, Vassal has been a huge advent. I'm currently like the games leader in Vassal. Look at you and like, or just like in Guild Ball in general. I think I have like 160 log tournament games at the moment because Vassal's really cool and neat. <laughs> so, yeah, getting to play with, like, everyone around the world and stuff. The community is still going, like, pretty strong, so. Well, so do you do you anticipate that um, as long as there's other people playing, that you, that your love of the game won't stop, even though it's been, you know, been shelved by uh, Steamforged? Uh, for sure, yeah. I know there's, like, a lot of other games that, like, still live on, even to, like, this day after they've been, like, canceled, like, years after whatever. Like, I mean, that happened with Blood Bowl. Yeah. And they were able to, like, revive and everything. So, yeah, I definitely think, like, I'm going to like keep playing as long as like there's tournaments and stuff where I can like play and like stay sharp with it. I definitely love the game and want to keep going. So that's cool. How about you, Mike? Are you still playing? 
I, I have uh, joined my rejoined uh, the first tournament in a couple months, but I was I was similar to Johnny. I was playing um, a bunch of Vassal games um, for a while. I think um, you know. Uh, so I'm I'm over in New Mexico now. I'm actually in like one of the big centers for for Infinity. Um, so you know, my locals. I've been. I mean, when I've gotten the chance to play in person, which isn't that often, um, has been more Infinity and, and board games and stuff like that, uh, which has has driven me a little bit away from uh, you know grinding vassal game, grinding online games for Guild Ball. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm playing in this tournament. I'll still always you know join in in something. Uh, or another for Guild Ball. Yeah, it's, I mean, there, there's several dead games out there. I mean, there's still people that play, you know, 8th edition Warhammer. I know uh, it's got a, what do they call it, 9th edition, I think they call it now. And uh, to Johnny's point, Blood Bowl, hell, I mean, the community kept that alive and thriving um, before Games Workshop realized that it was sitting there uh, as a gold a, a gold mine they just left uh, unfurled. Um, how about you, Pete? Do you anticipate you'll uh, pull out the models again or hop on Vassal again? I am the scorned lover of Steamforge games, and they are lucky that I'm still playing God Deer. <laughs> we'll probably cover that a little bit more in the next segment, but um, uh, but no, you um, and you moved on. Um, I, I remember when you uh, you first reached out to me when you started uh, showing an interest in Malifaux. Um, was Malifaux the game that uh, was that your? Your, uh, your first girlfriend after the divorce? <laughs> no, no. I had other girlfriends, but Malico is kind of where I settled. Okay. <laughs> um, so, Mike, when you go, when you look back on kind of the heyday, right, when when Guild Ball was the game, and I, there's arguably a good period of time where I think it was the premier competitive game in, in, as far as miniatures go, um, what do you, what do you – what do you look back on fondly? Um, what do you think, why was that working so well? And why did, why did Steamforge really get the game in such a good place? Uh, okay. So two, yeah, two different things. I mean, I think the reason they established themselves so well was how um, connected they were as like a development team to their pl- competitive player base, the interactions they were able to do the way they were in- able to interact over social media. Um, we could, we'll probably speak to it more, but there was a very, uh, is still a very popular um, Discord server. And I think that was really great because other than like, that was the most, it's like a very immediate, you know, cause it's a chat based, um, you know, conversation rather than like a Facebook group or something like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think Steamforge's involvement with that and with their player base and running the tournaments and doing the different, um, you know, kind of incentives and uh, things they did was why the game was so successful competitively, um, you know, in addition to the fact that, again, very easy to run. Um, games are relatively short, time limited, well, very much time yep. limited. I uh, don't need a lot of terrain, stuff like that. But what do I look back on fondly is kind of a different thing. Uh, I'd say for me, I mean, all the big tournaments hanging out with the guys, like hanging out and drinking with Pete or with Johnny or with anything. Yep. But I'd say the biggest one um, if I had to pick one, going to Poland and doing the the World Team Championship, which was you know traditionally a War Machine event, but they did add Guild Ball um, to it, and we did you know that the it was the second year. I wasn't able to go the first year. I wasn't able to get off of work um, enough time, but the second year I went, and you know just being able to um, drink schnapps with the Slovenians <laughs> and. Uh, 
uh, get blackout drunk with the Germans. And I mean, a lot of it involved drinking, as you could tell. Watch, uh, watch Bryce, the you know the one of the developers, not the lead developer at the time. Uh, you know, try to vault the couch and uh, <laughs> land face first and split his lip open. You know, bleeding out all over. A, you know, a Polish hotel room. You know, all those like side things that you. That all those side experiences that go along with miniature gaming that make it so, you know, so much of a great social uh, experience, you know, have always been my best. Yeah. Now it's funny when I had Bryce on the show, he did not mention that uh, incident (laughs) in the Polish hotel room. (laughs) He forgot. He he doesn't he doesn't remember that <laughs> incident for sure. <laughs> oh, that's funny. How about you, Johnny? Um, is, is there some highlights when you think about the heyday? Oh, yeah, I definitely like, uh, so I went to WC the following year from like micro or whatever. Uh, and I'd say that's probably what, like was the highlight of like Guild Ball career. So WTC is like such a blast and you're like drinking, hang out with everyone and just shoot the shit, just like meeting all of like the international players and stuff. It's just like that community is just like so cool and definitely like the best part of it. Also spilling a beer all over uh, Owen Bell's like miniatures <laughs> and stuff in his bag after I like offered him one. That was, that was pretty great. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. How was uh, Pete, um, you know, you being a, a, a broadcaster, I'm not going to ask Mike because he had his podcast, his own podcast. So he's, he's, gonna, he's a biased uh, source. But for you, Pete, well, I guess you did too. So I'm going to ask Johnny this question. <laughs> Never mind. Johnny. Um, I had a podcast. Man, oh man, I can't pick a guest. All right. So now I got to ask all three of you the same question. Um, what role did content creators um uh take and and how steamforge interacted with content creators yeah, this was interesting because and this is the first time i saw this in a in a miniature game and like like mike said the developers and the people in the company were so accessible that pretty much any anybody even you know me or mike or johnny could start a podcast literally from you know nowhere and steamforge was like hey i hear you're doing a podcast Here's some, you know, information so you can, you know, release content out day of, you know, release. Here's some spoilers. You know, why don't we come on and talk on your podcast? And they even did something really cool where they got a bunch of the podcasts when they were going to their new season. And they were like, hey, let us know what guild you want to reveal for the new season. And we'll hook you up with all the new cards and even the minor, wow. if you have a minor guild out. So that was like, holy crap. There, There's gaming companies that they won't even talk to you if you tell them you have a podcast and you want to talk to them. It's, it's just, to me, it was so amazing that they were willing to open up to the community like that. Yeah, that's huge. And uh, I mean, Johnny, did you find that there was just a vibrant content creating community? I mean, was there a lot of really good podcasts in there or was there a couple good ones and then there was Mike's and, and Pete's? I uh, know. I thought like all the podcasts were like pretty fantastic overall. <laughs> yeah. But no, yeah. Like every like, I felt like every podcast kind of had like its own like mission was like kind of like brought its own unique take to the game, which was really cool. And like, just like the ability of a game to create like that much content and like that much diversity in like podcasts was, I think like just a hallmark and like one of like the true, like, I guess strengths of the game where like you had that much like ability to like talk about it. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think one of the cool things was, um, so, you know, we all three of us had podcasts. There was the Chicago podcast, which was one of the more popular ones. There was an Australian podcast. There were a couple of UK podcasts with one being particularly, uh, I guess two really being particularly the most um, long running and prolific 
That's true. We had Gil Ball tonight before that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what I was going to say was, you know, it was such a close-knit community um, that, you know, the Chicago guys would put out a podcast. I'd argue with them on Discord, and then I'd record an episode, and I'd argue with them on my podcast. And uh, then we would, you know, talk back and forth to each other. And yeah, there was so much interaction um, there was definitely there were crossover nice. episodes, you know, that we did between the various pod. We were all friends, um, and it was such a close community that even the Australian guys, uh, although I'll never live let him live. One of the Australian hosts went to New York to run the New York City Marathon, and I actually came out and, uh, you know, went to cheer him on. Uh, of course, he snubbed me by missing me, you know, in the crowd, uh, and I never let him. I, was, <laughs> I never let him live it down. But uh, no, yeah, that, I mean, that's you know how close it was. I felt like you know going out and meeting up with a, a yep. podcaster uh, from a, you know literally across the world, uh, you know, just because we had had these cool conversations. Well, online. I've always found that the the amount and the quality of content being created for a game is a good measure of the game, right? And the and the health of it. Um, and really w- where the community can be. So that um, that really doesn't surprise me. I never played Guild Ball competitively. It was always a casual game for me, um, and I enjoyed it. And um, But that was one of the things I noticed. Uh, it was really kind of – because I never – with GW games, I never listened to any podcast about GW games. Didn't give a crap about what anybody else thought on that stuff. But with Guild Ball, I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed you know uh, listening uh, to that, even though I, I was not a – uh, a competitive guy with it. So guys, let's take a quick break. What I want to talk about when we get back from this break is I want to talk about when the, when things started to show us signs of problems. So what, what were, uh, where, when did we first start uh, reading the tea leaves and recognizing that uh, there might be an issue? We'll be right back. If you're an athlete, you know, the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. 
So the game is doing well. It's got this huge community. We've got podcasts left and right. People are going to watch other podcasters run in a circle. It's uh, it, everything's going really, really well. Um, Pete, for you, was there any indication that 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 there, there might be a problem? Yeah, there is. There's a few things that kind of started opening my eyes to like, okay, these are some like kind of warning signs. But what ended up happening, the things that stood out to me is there was a release. This was in season three and there was a release of, they used to sell their models in blisters. So they didn't quite have team boxes yet. So you had to buy them individually and they put out a new release for these different players that came out. And I remember one was Locust from the Engineers, and there was like Vet Siren and some other models that came out. And I just remember there was a lot of problems getting those to some places. And, you know, the first time that happened, everybody was like, well, you got to give Steam Forge a pass. You know, they're a small company, you know, they're gamers, they're, you know, doing this for us. And, you know, so everybody kind of started giving them a pass. And then we started getting into what was kind of known as the uh, Thresh Apocalypse. We started having some balancing issues when the Farmer's Guild came out. So this is a brand new guild, and it was a really busted guild. They could do some really powerful things. They made, you know, not good players look good like myself. So that was something that, you know, was kind of glaring. And then there were another issues. uh, There were more issues that started popping up, like the new minor guilds came out, but, they had problems releasing them again. And the funny one was that the Navigators Minor Guild actually got sunk coming over to all the distribution places. So they actually lost it at sea. And wow. then the um, the Butcher's Minor Guild, the chefs, or the cooks, sorry, they, uh, I mean, it took forever for them to come out. By the time they came out, they were balanced for season three, but they didn't come out till season four. And, wow. by, and by that time, People were really getting egregiously upset with with uh, Steamforge. They were voicing, you know, like, you know, you're promising all this stuff, you're giving us dates, and it, here it is, you know, six months later, that type of stuff. So a lot of it was production issues, and then it ended up becoming balancing issues. And I think that was the balancing issues really started popping up when you started seeing um, the other captains that came out, and you saw. Uh, some of the other like minor guilds, like the minor minor guild was a really powerful guild when it came out. So it seemed like there was a lot of balancing issues. They weren't play testing stuff as much out the door. And I don't know if it was becoming hard for them to balance, but that in combination with the production quality and the production issues they had with getting it into the stores, um, it, it really was starting to cause a lot of problems in the community and people were starting to get pissed off about it. Is that was that really for you too, Johnny? When you started to go, man, something's going on here. Oh uh, yeah, all the production issues were like really a big problem. Like, um, yeah, it really sucked because <laughs> I want I want to get spend people money. into the game and stuff. Yeah, I want to give you guys money. Please let me help. Like, help me spend money. I want to throw this at you. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. So that like really sucked. Um, another big thing too was the uh, press gang or not the press gangs like the pundit program once that like because they like kind of cut that off like pretty abruptly but I think like part of that was also like the big lawsuit with like Magic the Gathering yeah, and that, stuff that, and that's why program. everybody had to do it but yeah yeah but like with like the loss of like that it really seems like they like dropped the foot then like on any sort of like community like support and outreach and then they kind of like did the same with like the podcast too and everything and they started like easing back from them well Johnny I, and I, I, I think that, I think Johnny you were going to say something even 
even more kind of hitting to me when you were going to talk about new players, right? You were about to say. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was like one of the big like production things because like you demo this game, you're like, hell yeah, this game is so sweet and you can only buy farmers and blacksmiths. Hope you like those. Uh, and if not, you're kind of screwed. So yeah, so that was like a big thing too. And then like now the game, like with like near the end or whatever, they like finally figured out their production stuff, but it was too little too late. So, so now did you find there to be the balance issues that Pete talked about? Uh, there definitely were like some of like, I think like the farmers, like the thrush apocalypse, as it's been called, uh, definitely was an issue. Everything else seemed like for the most part. Okay. There's like, some things were like a little scooch too powerful, I guess, but I don't think anything like other than like thresher, like release was two bananas. Right. And was there any kind of sense, um, from Steamforge on what the hell was going on? So Pete senses this change, Johnny, you sense a change was, was Steamforge, uh, somewhat transparent about the production issues or was Steam Ford saying, good, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I, yeah. What did we see change with the company? Anything, Mike? Yeah, so I, I mean, I 100%, uh, I, I didn't, th- there were balance issues. I don't know if they were necessarily signs. Of, I think they're signs of a just normal developmental de- development process in the game, but the production issues were huge. I remember at one point demoing the game to somebody and they wanted Union. And this was right at the point where they kind of discontinued a lot of their metal models. And it was just couldn't buy it. Uh, and this guy worked for a game store. So it was at zero of their three major dis- you know, distributors. Uh, and it took, you know, eight months. And he actually ended up buying the guild. Uh, you know, way after there was any point to, uh, you know, keep playing. But yeah, there I, I'd say there was almost a full year it was close to that. It was somewhere in the range of like eight months to a year where it was almost impossible to buy models for the game other than the, you know, one to two sets that they really had, uh, you know, had out. So that was a big issue. And then I think what we saw, this was always something we kind of joked about in the community, but um, Steamforge's approach to, uh, you know, while they're early community engagement, they had some really great things. They would do this thing where they like had great community engagement and great programs and great things. And then they would just drop off the face of the earth. Not like that. They, the, the developers were still very much in contact with the community, but they would just mess up on simple PR and, uh, uh, you know, just like general marketing kind of things where it's like they had a marketing team and I cannot, I mean, Guild Ball was their main game at the time. Um, this was before they really jumped into all their Kickstarters, like a hundred percent. And I cannot think of like, there were times where it'd go like two months without a social media post whatsoever, uh, anything, you know, it was always just like, yep, production issues are, are, are here and we're working on them. And, you know, uh, like we're going to fix them and we have these great ideas, but they were always so vague. Uh, and yeah. And then, so that would happen for several months and then, you know, like there would be a little bit of an uproar and then we'd get a flurry of things from their, you know, um, player, either their community engagement. And it would be like, Oh, this is great. This is awesome. And then that would drop off again. And then, you know, the same cycle. Yeah. And the one that really pissed me off was, so we ended up going to, I can't remember which Steam Con it was. It was probably like 2018 or something like that. And it was in Nashville, great time, but they, they overspent. They, they picked, they picked, what was it, the Opry or something? And it's like, why are you putting a bunch of nerds in this like five-star hotel just to be nerds for a weekend? I mean, the hotel rooms were like, I think 
we spent like 700 bucks for the weekend for the room. So we had like five nerds crammed in a room and they ended up losing a lot of money on it because they didn't sell out their room blocks and stuff. And it was just, it was ridiculous. But the thing, and Mike, you can talk about the, the uh, steam con problems after, but the one that pissed me off is they didn't give any word of the next steam con. And they're like, well, we'll have some news coming. We'll have some news coming. And then eventually they end up releasing this post saying like, Hey, sorry, there's no steam con and there's not going to be any world champ. I, I don't remember is the world championship, but they basically can canceled their whole like dedication to the competitive, like, tournament scene that they had built themselves upon and it was just it was very disappointing but yeah SteamCon was a train wreck after that year for sure so so the one thing i'm trying to figure out and maybe we don't know the answer to this is what was happening behind the scenes do we have a sense of what i mean we see what happened outside what was happening inside did, did we ever find out or do we know i think we have a pretty good idea johnny i want to hear your thoughts on this uh as well especially since uh, we've been chatting for a bit, but my sense is this, you know, at this time is probably when uh, the creators, Matt and Rich, um, uh, were really exploring their their uh, IP licensing. Um, we don't know that for sure, but that's like around the time, you know, it started before they did that stuff and it went through like Dark Souls and it went through, yeah, some of those things. And you could tell, um, even though the developers were still super into the, you know, into the, uh, engagement and doing stuff for the game. I have, a, I cannot imagine that they were not really focusing their, their efforts on, on uh, obtaining licensing for those IPs and figuring out how to make those things. Well, guys, they also screwed up the Kickstarter for dark Souls. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, that was, I think that was beyond their control a little bit, just cause that was like, they weren't expecting that level of engagement in terms of like buying it and everything because like what was it like they're expecting what like maybe a hundred thousand dollars or some shit like that and ended up being a couple million dollars <laughs> in terms of like scale and difference so so i don't fault them entirely on that i enjoy that game i guess but i'm a weirdo maybe. i mean i don't know do we get a sense that they just were biting off more than they could chew with that, I think so, yeah. They definitely, like, overcommitted well, and I in think terms with of that, what they're expecting. They saw the, I wouldn't call it easy money, but they saw when you get an IP license that already has a ton of, you know, people devoted to that game, it's way, way more, I guess, free money, not free money, but easy money. Like, you don't have to put as much, you know, press into it and say, like, hey, here's a new game. You already have millions of fans that love, you know, Dark Souls and love uh, all the other games that they're Devil May Cry and the other ones that they put out. And Pac-Man. And Pac-Man. Pac-Man card game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, without uh, without like going into too much stuff that might get me in trouble for like knowing more than I should about some of the, the company's workings, I can tell you the amount of uh, man hours they were, you know, dedicating to Guild Ball, like the, the work that was being put out by their development team was great considering how little time um, I can tell. And just, you know, I mean, just, you know, game developers don't make a ton of money. I, I like, I, I got a good insight into that. And I like the, the work that was being put out for, you know, what I could say is like significantly less than what I make in the field of education. And that's not a high paying field. So like they weren't. <laughs> People like Jamie got moved to other projects. Like they, they had some of their best developers not working on Guild Ball. Yeah, they're, they're, you could tell the resources were very minimal that, you know, that were getting, and they were still putting out some good stuff with what, you know, what they had, but obviously uh, the kind of like structure of the company's support for it, you could tell was 
was less uh i do want to give a shout out here to people like sherwin matthews because his his writing in the world of guild ball was always amazing and no matter what they gave him he was able to write some amazing work out of it so i I know we're starting to get to the point where we're bashing a little bit but even during this time sherwin was doing some really good work well, and to be clear, Pete, I don't think we are bashing, and maybe I'm reading you guys right, wrong. Criticizing, it, yeah, it sounds like you're you're lamenting more than anything. Where you're you're saying, you know, hey, you know, this kind of sucked, and I'm, I'm still hurt. Um, it's not that Steamforge was a bunch of bad people and they turned evil and got little curly mustaches. It sounds like you know that uh, things got stretched, um, and you know, there was they're a small company. They were, and they still are. Um, and you know, yeah, you suddenly put out something like dark souls and you have to produce, uh, what was it? 700,000 copies or something ridiculous. I think that they had, um, that was it. Now I'm a huge fan of, of dark souls because I, I pledged it. Uh, I think seven years later, I finally got it and, uh, sold it for three times what I paid for it. Literally the day it arrived, I kept it in the box Posted it on eBay and three days later sold it for three times what I paid. So I'm a big fan of that game, uh, which I never played. Um, but um, but no, I mean, yeah, but we, you know, it is being critical. And one point that Mike makes, which is a really big point, is um, and I and I get a little bit angry with people that give developers shit. Um, th- these guys are not making a lot of money, and and it is they. For you to be in a, a game developer and to to do that full time, you're doing it because you freaking love making games. Because you're definitely not doing it to get rich, um, and you're definitely not doing it because it's easy hours, um, and you're definitely not doing it because people are going to support you online and tell you how great you are. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like Craig, though, kind of like what you're saying, the community did a really good job protecting those developers and protecting good. the people of of steam forge it was kind of more anger starting to go towards the top and distribution yes exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would I would amend our thing, Craig. You'll see by the end of this, we might bash Steamforge as a company, but we will definitely not bash uh, Steamforge employees right. at the uh, development level. You know, at the at Sherwin's level, whatever you want to call. It. I guess that's fluff development. But yeah, those people, uh, you know, like beautiful, like love them. You know, I would I would uh, I would invite Bryce over if he wasn't across the ocean and have a beer with him any day. Yeah. But, you know, same thing for Jamie. Uh, you know, all those guys. Um, you know, those are the ones I know. Dom, uh, who joined later, was also, you know, really great. Um, but yeah, so less, yeah, less the that and more maybe the uh, corporate decisions that were starting to be made. Yeah. It also helps that Bryce and Jamie are just good dudes, right? Um, and smart dudes that that, that are, are good at what they do. Um, Johnny, did you get a sense during all of this? Um, we talked about how their, the engagement with the content creators was a big deal. How would a vibrant, uh, a large amount of quality content was coming out. Did you get a sense, Johnny, when uh, the, the there was a turn in the broadcasts where you started hearing things get sour and it was being broadcast across different podcasts? Did, did you get a sense of that happening as a listener? Uh, I think it was just less podcasts, honestly. Interesting. Just because like, there's less stuff coming out, less stuff to listen to because there's not as much development and talk with like the comp- or, like with the community and that leads to less content because yeah. there's less stuff to talk about, you know? And I feel like that was like kind of across the board across like all the podcasts. Yeah, so. Th- that'll definitely be a big factor. So guys, we're going to take another break. When we get back from this break, we're going to talk about The End, capital T, capital E. We're going to talk about, um, uh, probably kick it off talking about uh, that controversial post they made. So we'll be right back. 
Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So um, I has I was well out of Guild Ball by the time this happened, and uh, this is how long ago Pete was it when they put this out? I mean, seem to, what was it, guys? August? So, yeah, August? Yeah, yeah. End, of, end of the summer, right? Yep. So it wasn't that yep. long ago. And you know, basically, uh, Steamforge put out a message saying, "That's it. We're done. We're not uh, putting out anything more for it." And uh, it's it's you know it's it's dead and gone. Um, but. Before we jump into that, I do want to talk about what was happening right before that. So before the end, um, Mike, can you talk to us about what was happening? There was a lot of stuff happening on Twitter and uh, some playtesting that was happening and all kinds of stuff. Can we talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, sure. I don't know how much. I mean, I think there were a couple of the uh, of of the UK guys that were really into the playtesting. So yeah, what ended up happening broadly was obviously you know people knew there was something going on. There hadn't been really any releases. Things were getting um, you know there was a lot of radio silence. I mean, we we're still playing the game pretty well, but uh, with COVID and everything, obviously that was transitioning to online. Uh, so we get these like kind of random. Um, you know, Twitter posts from from Matt Hart, uh, you know, the creative director or whatever his title is, being kind of like, you know, let me shoot some ideas for how to radically change the rules of Guild Ball. Because, um, like, that was, like, his inspiration, that the rules needed, like, some kind of major overhaul and redesign uh, and started putting out ideas there and saying that there was going to be some play testing. Um, you know, to this day, as far as I understand, the, I, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I don't think the feedback form ever came. And if it did, it was obviously way past any decision point for them keeping the game. Um, so, yeah, it was really weird. And now looking back at it, it seems like completely disin- like disingenuous in terms of like maybe he was like wanted to have some ideas, but... I, I don't know how as the, you know, whatever level person of the company, he didn't know that the game was already dead at that point. They weren't producing anything. So you're going to do a field test to change or a, a play test to change all your rules up when you're not producing new products for this game anymore. You know, so I, I don't know. I, I was confused by it. So I never really uh, paid it much attention. Did, did you get a sense of what was going on with that, Johnny? Uh, I mean, yeah, it was kind of like in hindsight or whatever. It's kind of a dick move, honestly. I don't know. Like, yeah, because like it really wasn't going to change anything. All of like the changes were very like, I mean, they're radical or whatever, which is like cool to like kind of like rethink the game. But 
I don't know. It just seemed like it failed across like the community. No one was like really interested in that. They wanted kind of more of the same and like yeah. just actual releases, like miniatures and like new rules would have been cool for like new stuff instead of like trying to re overhaul everything, especially with like season four being like relatively new, especially with like COVID kind of like throwing a wrench in that and everything and like kind of like disrupting that. The game still felt like pretty new, pretty fresh. There's still a lot of like unexplored territory. In like and being four, like even at that point. Johnny, I don't know if you agree, but being like the best balance the game has been, it was probably in the oh, yeah, best absolutely. state. Yeah, best wow. state. The game was probably rule wise in the best state it had ever been in. Um, oh yeah, right now I think it's like the tightest like rule set that it's ever had, and I think like everything is pretty damn close right now, like in current. So yeah, it's kind of baffling. <laughs> yeah, it was it was crazy because. I remember that the, so this would have been September, 2019. It was radio silence for a lot of the podcasts too. There wasn't a lot of content being put out. I remember it going months without other content creators putting stuff out. And Chris and I on our podcast would put stuff out when there was something to talk about, but even canceling off a lot of the tournaments, a lot of the tournaments were small, uh, sprinkling one of the biggest tournaments in the United States didn't even sell tickets to put it on. So Bill had to cancel sprinkling pre COVID, um, even though it wouldn't have been able to happen because of COVID, but still that was another red flag. Uh, when you contacted anybody from the media team, they wouldn't get back to you. And that was the point when I would reach out to them and I got no response. That's when I started looking at different games. And that's actually how I ended up going to Malifaux because I was just like, you want to know what? Scorn lover here. I'm going to go to a game that's active. It's exciting right now. The new third edition was going out for Malifaux. Um, and I was kind of just waiting. And when that field test popped up, uh, Chris and I did an episode and we talked about some of the ones we kind of liked. We talked about some changes we wanted to see. And... We still had hope, though, and I think Gen Con was the big, big part that really pissed me off because here you are with your flagship game, and everybody was doing online Gen Con content. Craig, you were a big part of the one that we did, and basically at the end of their spiel, somebody was like, hey, what about Guild Ball? You know, your flagship game. Their famous quote that I will stick with is, something is coming. Don't worry about it, guys. Something's coming. And then, what, three weeks later, get the axe, and the game's done. Yeah, I did not see. Go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, uh, the, the side story people may not, that was their public right comment. Uh, they said something similar on their Discord with the you know head of the company literally going on to the Guild Ball Discord and being like, like oh, don't worry, guys. Like We have some big news Winky in a face. couple of weeks. Yeah, winky face. That was the famous. There was a winky face. If news is coming, like, and it was like such a hype up. People got excited about it. Like, I watched people be like, "Oh, great, yeah. they're gonna have the big thing." Uh, and then, you know, like, I mean, obviously, he knew what the uh, announcement was. It was, yeah, yeah. hey, your game's canceled. <laughs> yeah. See, it, now, 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 that adds a bit of light to this because I, like I said, I was out of the game. Right, I wasn't following it. I wasn't on a Discord. Um, hadn't played guild ball in two years um and wasn't wasn't listening to podcasts about it or anything anymore so that that announcement drops and i remember reading it going here here was my take here was my read right not knowing about the winky face um my read was look um we pay, we've we've developed ourselves into a corner um the game is solved 
and there really isn't much left to do. There isn't any place for us to flex without making drastic changes, and we don't want to make drastic changes, so we're, we're just going to stop. And I remember reading it, again, not knowing this history, and I remember going, you know what? That's why I stopped playing your game for that reason. Um, and, you know, I think I thought it was – uh, pretty ballsy just to say, look, we're done because there's just nothing left to do. And then I saw the reaction um, and just the vitriol and just the the hate that came out. And um, I knew that I obviously had missed something. Um, what, I mean, what was your reaction, Mike? <laughs> uh, good. I'm glad you went to me because I would, I mean, I think Johnny and Pete should definitely speak to it, but I would have been straining at the leash. Um, I, I hear what you're saying with, you know, being out of the game and seeing that. And I think that totally could have been a possibility that could have happened with Gilball because we did know there was some limitations with the way they designed the game. And just in terms of, you know, uh, a, a capitalist prop, you know, uh, profitability, you know, it was a game with not a ton of miniatures and yep. kind of a hard set limit, but a couple of things. One, they, they didn't reach that limit. They never finished creating all their minor guilds. So even if you want to go through, if that would have been the complete game and they just didn't have a good way to expand it without ruining the product, they would have finished those things. So that, that didn't happen. Um, Two, uh, I mean, you know, if you look at it, they, they could have just said the game's not profitable, which we all knew because they weren't releasing models for it. And that's why it's over. We love the game. We're going to, you know, uh, we'll support it in what way we can, but we're not producing models for it. We'll still keep stuff up on our website because, you know, that doesn't, that's not too much. They already have the website. Uh, and that would have been fine. We would have been sad, but, you know, good with it. But when it's like, we're done with this game, it's over. And the reason it died, and that was the big part, that second part of that, uh, that you know, blog post that they did on their website, the reason it died is that, you know, the players. The players turned the game into something that we didn't want it to be, which is, I mean, honestly, I have to say, this this will be my one big curse. It's bullshit. It was a com- designed as a competitive game with really tight rules that was fun to play, good for new players, but, like, a lot of depth to say that the game got, like, two people got too competitive about it i mean come on war machine exists like you know games workshop exists and that game has so much more yeah there's so much i mean even malif of my understanding of it is there's a lot more you know there's a lot of people who take these games really seriously and competitively and look for combinations and there's list building in these games and there's a lot of ways to kind of break the game guild ball was not anywhere near that so that statement is completely that was like completely disingenuous that was uh that was in my mind the because the 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 post was very clearly authored by um you know the two the two head people matt and rich um well at least the part that talks about that there was a part i think from jamie as well um but that part speaks to we made a mistake in our in the way we planned this game out the way we you know did our are as a game company but we don't want to admit that because we have all these ips that are in the process and we don't want to look like we failed something so you know what happened no the players didn't do it and you know that's what happened and And i think that's a complete top here's my one on why this is bullshit so previous year sorry previous year they had one of the biggest community events they ever had they said the numbers superseded anything else they've ever had in the community. And 
they want to say the competitive players ruined it. It's like you have so many people that love the fluff and love the community. They love the campaigns. They love the big league that they put out, which they hadn't put out since season two. So here we are, you know, two seasons later, and they still haven't developed into the community a cool campaign system like they did for season two. I had to go back and, you know, kind of make up rules for the big league to do it in my meta. And we had... 30 people in that big league and they want to sit here and tell us the competitive players ruined. I mean, Mike's terrible, but he's not that terrible, you know, (laughs) the community is really strong in guild ball. And if they would have kept it going and put the resources into, we talked about earlier how they started pulling resources out of guild ball because they wanted to get that money from those IPs and those, you know, bigger money makers, which is fine. But Guild Ball still had a place where they still could have made money out of it. They just didn't want to put the resources into it. And maybe I can understand that because it was COVID and they want to keep the you know company afloat and they want to keep making money. But still, just to, like just say, hey, we're at a hiatus. We'll wait it out. Then we'll work towards a new season. I think it was really premature just to kill the game off. And it, it was kind of just really crappy the way they did it. I will say the game was dead. Uh, I... I, I the game the decision for the game being dead maybe not it's final like you know like a hundred percent confirmation happened way before covid way like i'm talking before covid hit anywhere in the in the world let alone you know the uk or the us that decision was made when they were still um still finishing up some real like you said that really successful community project i think the decision was starting to be made around then so, so if that's true, Mike, then you really feel like Hart was pulling everybody's everybody's chain when he was doing that field test stuff on Twitter. I mean, I think he uh, has some connection to the game. Uh, I think uh, one of the podcasts actually really talked about it well. Um, there's like a psychological kind of a, a construct where you know, um, God, I, it's not it's not my normal wheelhouse. So there there is an official name for it, but it's like um, uh, it's when you create is when you create. Um, something and then you you know become invested in it and it's and it's your thing and now you know best about it even if you haven't been involved in it you don't you, you're not keeping up with it you don't have that knowledge anymore so i do think he probably honestly believed that he knew good things about the game and had a right sense of it and it was going wrong because of these factors that were just not in line with whatever vision he had in his head but i mean he wasn't the one who was in the day-to-day of that you know, game as we know from all the great work that the developers, you know, put in. So I would imagine it just kind of became a clash of like, we had this vision. So yeah, we're convinced we know, you know, what happened. And maybe Matt really did believe that there was something like that. But I, I from a company standpoint, and you know, I'm not a, a business guy, but you, there's no way that three months before you announce the end of your game and you've already stopped production of all your models, a, a, a rules change is going to be the thing that keeps you know, that financially afloat for you. There's no way that decision was made that quickly. Uh, I mean, yeah. not, yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No way. No, I mean, I, th- I think that's a reasonable thing to, to, to surmise. How about you, Johnny? What was your take? Uh, so I was kind of offended, honestly, by them calling out the community and like telling us it's our fault the game failed. Really? Like, you don't think maybe uh, killing all of the community support for the game, killing the production for the game, having all of these like myriad of problems and you come and blame the community. Like 
it's so I so I need your help here, Johnny. Um, before before the before we came on, I went and tried to find the announcement. Um, it's no longer on the Steamforge site. Um, I have found snippets of the announcement, but I haven't found the complete thing. And it was a pretty lengthy post, and it had different authors, um, you know, that that had different comments on it. And understand again the premise here that I was not as in the game as as you guys were, right? But I kept hearing that that Steamforged is blaming the players. Steamforged is blaming the players. And I don't remember reading that. So so help me out, Johnny. How did they, what did I miss when I read that? And then I kept hearing, well, they're blaming the players. I remember going back and going, like, where did they blame the players? Can, can you help me understand where that sentiment comes from? Uh, so like in the post or whatever, like what happened was, I want to say that they said that like we tried our best to like make the game the best it could be but the community like took over the game changed it they played it wrong they did the wrong thing by being competitive with the game and by like playing it to its fullest and like kind of like almost not solving the game but like maximizing the game and playing in a way that they didn't envision was kind of how they like blamed the community with that and then like they caused that like they used that as like a lot of their like reasoning as to why the game was like dying and like getting killed off. So I guess that's like where the community like, because they like actively like say like the players did this thing or whatever, kind of like blaming them and like kind of calling them out, you know? And that's, I guess where like the issue has and like everyone, like the community is like very online. So like, I think like a lot of us, like we're all talking about it and stuff and just like so astonished that they would like do that. And I think that kind of like fed into that as well. But I have a, I have a, I have a snippet. It's not the whole thing, but this is one of the pieces. I don't think this is this uh, talks to everything, but I found an old Reddit post that had some quotes of some of the stuff from uh, from from the announcement, uh, even though the announcement itself is gone. Um, Gilball became the type of game where you win your first game demo and then lose the next 100 games when matched against the lesser skilled or experienced inexperienced opponent. A better player would simply vin- win the mass- vast majority of their games. I mean, one, not really true. Um you wouldn't lose a hundred games of Gilball after after your demo. You certainly could win plenty of games, and also like to a second degree, like I mean, most games have some kind of learning curve. Where if you're a uh, what did they say? Uh, uh, when you're matched against uh, a lesser skilled or inexperienced opponent, a better player would win a large majority of the games. That means it's a player should win. The better player should win. Right. Yes. That, I mean, that's what I love about Malifaux, right? I mean, like to me, that's a good thing. It's what I compliment Guild Ball on all the time. As I say, what was great about Guild Ball is your decisions mattered. And even though it had dice, the player that made the best decisions was going to win the game the majority of time. Well, it's the funny that, thing about this is that it's a sports game. And I don't know if it's the, the, the mindset of society or whatever, that everybody needs to get a trophy. But it's like, no, if you wanted to be good at Guild Ball, you needed to get your reps in. You needed to play the game smart. And then you want to know what? Sometimes, no matter how hard I tried, Mike would still kick my butt. And that's just how it works. <laughs> well, and so here's what, here's, here's what I'm going to throw out at you. And this is for all three of you. Had they phrased it differently, had they said something like, um, the game is awesome. Uh, The game rewards people that spend time learning the game. The game rewards the best high skilled players. And inadvertently it's made us made it tough for us to attract new players. 
um, as a result, we're having a tough time attracting new players and um, the game is just isn't making us money anymore. And and, and we are kind of in a tough spot. Would that have been a different way to say the same thing? It would have been better and I would have been more accepting of it, obviously. But then I would still call out the new player thing because you can't get new players into the game when there's not product. Right. Literally, you had to go on Facebook, eBay, you know, borrow it from a friend. To I, play gave, I gave models away to people just so they would have models to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. And did they acknowledge any of those problems in the announcement? No. And I don't think they could. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing they couldn't do, right? Because that's right. the thing that tells your people who are investing and they got a large investment from some sort of uh, firm, you know, not too long before. That's the kind of thing that says like, we're not good at delivering on our product and, and don't give us money, right? For these big, huge, huge money blockbuster IPs, um, yeah. or at least partially blockbuster IPs. Um, I mean, Dark Souls, definitely blockbuster. Um, yeah, so I don't think, no, I think what they could have done though, without acknowledging that, cause I don't think they ever were, was gonna say, you know what? we're not able to support the game in the way it needs to be to be successful. That yep. to me would have been boom. Okay. They acknowledge they can't do what they need to do for the game to be successful. They're not saying they messed up, which they they did, but that's fine. I, I didn't expect yep. them to say that, but yeah, just leave it at that. Don't blame your players. Don't blame your game, which is really good. Um, and we would have been sad, but okay with it. You know, I mean, we're still okay with it, but <laughs> less okay. I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not okay with it. You're not okay with it. (laughs) Well, Johnny has no issue with it. He's still playing all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, like, now that it's like three of the creators and everything, like, it can kind of like live and breathe as its own game now, which is kind of cool. And like, the community project has like kind of been helping that or whatever. I mean, they're like working on ideas and stuff. Like, some of the balance is like still pretty rough, obviously, but it's like a fan driven thing or whatever. Nobody's getting paid or whatever. But it's still a cool like spot where it's in now and like the game can be the game it's like kind of solved quote unquote but i don't know i think it's in a good spot yeah johnny i was going to ask you are there because i know you guys there's different almost like committees is there talk of like i know you're talking about rules and maybe even 3d printing models is that something that is in the pipeline for the committee there Uh, i'm not a big i'm like not like super online with like that or whatever i get like feedback from like one of my buddies who's like a bigger part of it and like one of like developing one of the guilds but i mean there have been like talks and stuff and like they're still like working on getting like acceptable proxies and everything uh, but 3d printing and like that stuff is not profitable and it'll definitely be a fool's errand i think personally to go after but <laughs> they might try it so we'll see i guess i don't know I'm embarrassed now because I actually am a part of that committee, although I think I should resign myself. I just don't have the time to commit to it. I, hey, I, I know I'm on the rules committee, and I did I did a, an errata for a couple of models, and I think it was beautiful, and uh, Steamforge <laughs> should say so. Yeah, if I say so myself. Uh, I fixed Steeljaw, guys. I fixed Steeljaw. You did it. <laughs> well yeah. and, and and let's be honest i mean that we we've seen this work before right like you know blood bowl was an example of a game being kept alive for a long time um a lot of people um uh i know that play ninth age and and love it um and that is completely com- completely uh, uh upheld uh by the community itself so it'll be interesting to see what happens over time um 
and uh, whether who knows if it, whether it comes back either you know via Steamforge or somebody else. Um, so guys, let's take one more break. When we get back from this last break, I want to talk about uh, the Hangover. Let's talk about where everybody is now, uh, what games they're playing, um, what gaps um, and voids were left by Guild Ball, and how are they being filled by other games, and um, is there um, something else out there that they have fallen in love with, or will will it never be the same? We'll be right back. There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed to take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift and you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So now that, um, you know, as of August, there is uh, Guild Ball is no Moss. Um, Pete, we know where you went next, right? That's when uh, you found Malifaux. Um, I'd be curious, um, do, do you miss it, right? Has Malifaux filled the void and you're, you know, you're glad that you don't, you know, you don't play Guild Ball anymore and you're, you're all taken care of? Or, or do you miss it a little bit? Or is there things that you discovered in Malifaux that Guild Ball couldn't give you? I mean, I do miss Guild Ball just because, like we were talking earlier, the community was just, it was amazing. I don't think that there, I haven't been to a game system yet, and obviously COVID's going to test that or not test that, but where the community just, I've never seen a community experience like that so, so far in gaming, in my opinion. So yeah. uh, I think, though, you'll start seeing other games pick up just because Guild Ball was so big for a lot of people. They're going to go to these other systems. And actually, that's what had me go to Malifaux. Georgia actually has a pretty big Malifaux scene down there. And one of uh, one of my friends that used to live up here, uh, you, I think you've had on the show, Brandon Lynch, he... he played Malifaux and he had people like, you know, Brian White was playing Malifaux and I'm like, okay, I mean, these are like legit competitive players. Let me kind of check out the game a little bit. I looked at the model range. The model range was really cool. Uh, I actually think the thing I like better than Guild Ball because Guild Ball does get monotonous. It is like doing the same things again, doing the same, you know, opening conditions, activations. Yeah. And um, I think that was something that when they were talking about the field test, I was actually like relating because I was playing Malifaux pretty heavy then. I was like, listen, they should do something like Malifaux where even if it's like some secondary way to win the game, even if, well, I guess it'd be tertiary because there's already two, but, you know, another way to win the game, whether it's a scenario, whether it's this or that, just something to freshen up the game. Chris and I talked about like weather conditions that you could put randomly in the game, uh, make terrain more of a thing where maybe they put out some kind of or effects and Malifaux gives you a lot of that and Malifaux has you know the uh, strats and schemes the games are you could play the same cruise against the same cruise and 
you're going to get a different game most of the time. It's never going to be the same because the terrain means so much to it. The pool changes and you can bring all these different flex models and it. It's just a really impressive game. And that's what hooked me into Malifaux so hard. It, it filled Guild Ball, but then it added to it, which I found really impressive. My, my story is very similar to your Pete. That's exactly what happened with me. So Guild Ball saved me from Games Workshop. Um, and then, <laughs> then I found Malifaux. Yeah, I found Malifaux and Malifaux saved me from Guild Ball, to be quite honest with you, because I got bored with Guild Ball um, and Malifaux. And it was that extra layer. Um, but that comes with downsides. Um, like one of the things that I missed was how simple Guild Ball was. I mean, that was part of the beauty of that game is and I think, Mike, you might have said it like I could teach somebody Guild Ball in 10 minutes and we could start playing. And we could, you know, like as soon as they understood a playbook, we were done. Once I explained you the playbook, then we're we're good to go. Let's play. You've got your cards. I've got my cards. You can't do that with Malifaux. Malifaux is a lot more of an, an involved game and it's a little bit more of an intricate game. Not quite as elegant as Guild Ball is, but that comes with some upsides, too. How about for you, Johnny? I know you're still playing Guild Ball, but have you dipped into some other games? Uh, yeah, I've been like, uh, I dabbled in Bushido a little bit. Uh, tabletop I heard good stuff about that game. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, like I like the dice mechanics on that. It's like kind of like this cool like double blind like bluffing thing and everything. I've like uh, Tabletop Simulator and COVID are things. So not the biggest fan of Tabletop Simulator. COVID's COVID. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but otherwise, like the other game I've been like big into is uh, Judgment. Uh, it's like some Australian guys like doing it. Um, currently, it's like 54 uh, millimeter like scale miniatures. So wow. nice and big miniatures. They're beautiful. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of like, they're huge. Yeah, they're yeah. beautiful. Yeah, they're like all on like, like 50 millimeter. That's Inquisitor size. Yeah, it's like, so how it plays out, it's like a 5v5 like game similar. And it's like a MOBA style almost where like each person has like a effigy it's called, which is like your base. And like the goal is to like blow it up. By collecting, collecting uh, souls is like the main mechanic. Like the first one to like five souls wins, or you can just like deal direct damage to like their effigy. Wasn't like, that what up. the uh, Chicago guys went to a lot of? Oh uh, yeah, like a lot of them like went to that like back in like January uh, when no one else was, or like when Gilball like kind of like died down and stuff a little bit, and like it was on like it's like death rattle. Um, but yeah, no, I've been like pretty big in that. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, right now, it's like kind of like in a addition change, and they're going to hexes instead of like open min or like open measurement. So it's been like a big adjustment and stuff. It's a lot of fun though. It's like really cool. So that's that's very very cool. How about you, Mike? Um, Infinity became your prime game again. Uh, I'd say so. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely also dabbled in Bushido, and I think um post covid because yeah that bushido is a, a really great game it, it mixes some really cool uh new school gaming game design mechanics with some really old school game me- design mechanics and i actually knew bushido um way back before gill ball uh yeah, it's been around. A friend, yeah a friend of mine was like one of their first um u.s like representatives or whatever they called them back in the in the day uh, and i almost got back in you know then but the models weren't that great back that far ago and now the models are good um yeah the only problem with that is yeah tabletop simulator some games work well for that um surprisingly actually infinity works decently well there are some things that are challenging um but like uh bushido is actually quite hard 
just uh, just because of the way the like the running works and the way that the physics work with tabletop simulator. So I found myself like I played some games of it, um, but because there's not as much of a big scene when it comes to things like tabletop simulator, I'm probably going to hold off until uh, things are clear. And I know some of the guys locally have models and will play. So uh, I will play Bushido. But yeah, I mean, I. I'm fortunate enough to live in, you know, the Southwest U.S. right now, which is basically the uh, <laughs> infinity mecca, as they call it. Because uh, Arizona, sure. oh yeah, Arizona has a huge community. Colorado has a commu- huge community. Uh, New Mexico uh, hosts the largest infinity tournament in the U.S. Uh, with like uh, ra- routinely like a hundred. I think the last last time Rumble happened was like uh, 150 odd players. Yeah, and it and it's also a, a, an amazing community. Um, you know, I love I, I love the Infinity guys. Uh, um, I've been you know I've known them for like the ones that are here in Albuquerque for like ten years, way before I even moved out. So yeah, Infinity will be my game. And luckily, Infinity just came out with a new edition, and you know they've been progressively making the game more and more in that new design um, simplicity you know, toning things down. I mean, the big thing, like, for example, between this last edition and the new one is, you know, Infinity used to be a game where there were leveled um, abilities or nested abilities. So you would have martial arts and your ninja would have martial arts. But because he had martial arts, he also had stealth and he had courage and he had all these other rules that you would never know unless you opened up a rule book and like read the entire three paragraph, you know, uh, <laughs> summary, which was, you know, it was great once you knew it, but obviously a huge, a huge learning barrier. So yeah. I understand people who couldn't get into it. Now they've basically done the, the smart thing, which is just like, uh, it's all broken up, you know, so your model, yeah, it's built into the profile now. So your, your model doesn't have all those things automatically. It has martial arts and it might also have stealth and it might also have this third ability. Um, but, you know, that allows for a lot um, cleaner design. So, you know, the Corvus Belly guys, I also happen to know their design team and they are the, the Spaniards are ridiculous. I love them. They are awesome. Um, also, they're very much a Steamforge-esque kind of company. Um you know, despite the fact they've been insanely successful, um, I, it was a couple of years ago, but they had a staff of only like 36 or something people. I'm sure it's bigger now, but, um, you know, they're they're still in a small town uh, on the border of Spain and Portugal. It's yeah. So that's that's what's getting me the fix. Um, it's a great game. It has a lot of things, you know, that hit the hit the thing. Guild Ball, uh, like Pete said, has a really unique community that was both really good and also like really tight and competitive, and that was pretty unique. Um, so I, I I do miss that quite a bit. The three games that I hear um, scooping the Guild Ball community up have been Malifaux, and we've definitely grown. Malifaux has grown from Guild Ball. Um, uh, the other game, uh, is Bushido. I hear a lot of Guild Ball players went to Bushido. The other one is Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, yeah, some, absolutely. some of the, some of the yeah. MCP guys that I, uh, some of the podcasts for MCP that I listen to are former Guild Ball players. Um, and that was the game that hooked them. Um, I haven't heard much going to infinity, but I, I'm not a good judge of that because I'm not involved in the infinity. The reason I know MCP is because I play it. That's why I know that they went there. I actually um, think the, uh, was it singled out, Mike? They actually switched to being an infinity podcast, right? Oh, okay. Well, that's they big. have. Yeah, they were one of the bigger Guild Ball podcasts. Yep. 
I, I used to listen to Singled Out, so I didn't realize that. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how, you know, people kind of found it. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, which we did is, you know, what was it that um, that made you go to these other places? And you know, the, the guys that play Guild Ball, that play MCP, what I keep hearing them talk about is the simplicity and the elegance of the rules, right? The MCP has a very tight rule set. It's, it, it, it feels a lot like Guild Ball in that way. And they, um, you know, that's why they went there. And I hear the same thing about from a mechanical standpoint, how innovative Guild Ball was, they find Bushido to be very innovative and that that's what attracted them there. Um, and then the competitive depth is what I hear people saying why they went to Malifaux um, and they went there. And I'm sure it's a similar story, I would have guessed, for Infinity, Infinity being a, a very competitive game as well. Um, Johnny, I'd be curious, is there games that you're hearing about um, that have piqued your curiosity and that if at some point two human beings can be in the same room and play a game without wearing masks that you think you would try out? Is there a game on your radar that, uh, that, uh, that you haven't played yet but has piqued your interest? Uh, I've always liked I liked a lot of the aesthetics of like Malifaux, but like, I guess like some of the older editions kind of like scared me off with like some of like the very fiddly like models. I know yeah. like there's like what, like one 10 millimeter model and like height or whatever, which is just maddening and like so small uh, for me. But like, well, if no, you have any trouble putting them together, I hear Mike's real good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, we were off air, but the reason I never, I've tried to start Malifaux on two separate occasions and I bought starter boxes and I couldn't finish building the starter boxes. Uh, and in one case with the gremlins, I literally threw one of the models against the wall. Um, that's, <laughs> and I was like, I, you know what? It's probably a good game. Uh, in fact, there used to be in New York, there used to be an incredibly competitive Very good uh, group. Team, yeah. 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 The good guys over there, um, you know, that I used to play with um, in various other games. Yeah. But yeah, now I can't, can't build the models. So uh, unless Pete wants to build them and ship them. Over hey, I, I can I tell you, easy, it, what you're saying is is not is not wrong, Mike. I can't sit here and tell you that your hot take is not a good one. Uh, I can tell you it's it's gotten better, but it's still it's still it's still tough. It, it's still a challenge uh, to put them together. It's worth it. I think another thing that the games that Guild Ball players are flocking to, you're not going to see Guild Ball players going to play 40k. You're not going to see Guild right. Ball players. I mean, there's exceptions, but you're not going to see guild ball players going to play War Machine. And the reason is you're going to see guild ball players going to communities. You're going to see them going to skirmish games. Yeah. All the games we talked about are low model counts. And a lot. I, I think a lot of the guild ball players are also going more towards fantasy-esque games. Um, I Good mean, point. you have Infinity and you have a couple other more futuristic games. And I mean, obviously, people love their fantasy and their, you know, sci fi. But I, I feel like a lot of the games, I mean, Bushido, you see it's like this uh, fa fantasy based, I mean, I guess we could call it Asian theme. It's and anime. It's anime. That's why. Is that's it? Why I love, <laughs> then, love the anime. It, it's weeb. So that's. <laughs> I mean, that's why I love Malifo because you have the fantasy element, you have this cool Wild West element, Victorian, yep. Cthulhu. It's, it's just really weird. And I, I, no pun intended, but it's just, I think you definitely see guild ball players going to a skirmish based system. You're not going to see them going to this massive war game. No, that makes sense. Uh, I, I agree. I think the other thing you'll see uh, guild ball players will probably have, will go to systems that have solid, um, uh, 
dice mechanics or game yeah. mechanics. And when I'm I, when I say solid game, like they have to be based on a a, a, a dice system or a card system that has yeah reward skill and is like statistically rich yeah. and good. So Pete, that speaks to why I mean yeah, you're never gonna have a ton of people going to Games Workshop for from Guild Ball unless they really don't have another option because the the I mean as much as there's many other things about that game why it's super successful but their dice system is like you know from the 1980s uh before i was born that's actually the problem i have with crisis protocol and god tier i think on those and even um what's the star wars game legion legion the dice are so swingy in those games it just pisses you off sometimes yeah no, you're right. I mean, there's not much else to say about yeah. it. I mean, there, you, you definitely have the, you know, exploding dice mechanics, both in um, in Marvel Crisis Protocol. Legion's got a version of it as well. Um, and and God, so does God tier. Um, so there, there's definitely more chance. What's interesting about MCP, Pete, is my first take on MCP was, is that it was going to be completely my beer and pretzel game. Um, I, I, I accepted the fact that it wasn't going to be Malifaux. Um, I have since learned, and there's going to be some episodes that either have already come out or will be coming out that talk about it, that there's other, even though the dice are swingier, there's other mechanics that I'm discovering as I'm playing it more that make me realize that mitigate that and that allow decisions still to be important. Is that the um, uh, and scenario? Well, it's not even that. It's uh, the power mechanic. I didn't realize how deep the power mechanic is when you start really understanding what that is, because it's it's a mechanic that, like any good game system, it's super simple. I can explain it to you. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. Well, there's then some you start- models that they get super amped up. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a it's it ends up being a very interesting catch up mechanic that that mitigates. So if I if uh, let's say that you and I are playing Pete and you have like a sick roll, right? You have like three rolls on three attacks and they explode all over the place and you do a ship ton of damage and just like wreck face. Well, what that does is it gives me power. And then when I activate, <laughs> then I'm just gonna You're punish dumb. you. Right. I'm gonna punish you for doing what you just did. I've noticed and that it too. ends up it's very interesting. It's very, very interesting. It's still not Malifaux, right? And it's still not Guild Ball. It doesn't mitigate that um, the way that that built into the systems of Guild Ball and Malifaux, it does as well. Well, gentlemen, this was uh, very interesting. I actually learned something, which I appreciate, and made me realize that uh, maybe some of the rage uh, that I saw over that announcement was due because um, uh, I was sitting over here uh, reading it, going, "Geez, why you got you guys? You brought a bunch of babies getting all bent out of shape. They just said that they weren't going to support the game anymore, and you guys are like want to go burn down their house." But you know. I, now I understand the background a little bit more, which is part of the reason I wanted to have you guys on. Um, so as we're wrapping up here, Johnny, do you have any uh, plugs or shout outs you want to get out there? Uh, I guess you can. If anyone cares, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Johnny Pastrami. Uh, otherwise, like uh, Judgment is a really dope game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, dice wise, it is very similar to Guild Ball in terms of like dice curve. Everything just has defense four is kind of how it like, works out and then kind of go from there. So. I guess that. So excellent. Well, I will link to your uh, Twitter and I'll link to uh, the Judgment website okay, so people perfect. can check that out. How about you, Mike? Any shout outs or plugs? Um, I mean, shout outs to the Guildball community. Um, you know, if they're listening to this, you miss you guys. Um, I mean, I, I do think people should definitely take a ch- uh, you know take a, a look at Infinity if they've played it before, uh, pre and for, um, and you know you know found it too complicated. I always say there's de- there's always still that it is one of the more complicated game systems, but I do think it's uh, it's quite rewarding. Um, and plug wise, I mean, no, 
Uh, I've, I mean, I, I am probably going to start up, uh, use the Guild Ball, you know, the old Guild Ball podcast uh, hosting to do some, uh, to restart some Infinity podcasts at some point in the future, but I'm terrible at self-promotion. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, Mike, I'm going to have to have you back on because I, I've yet to do a, uh, an episode focused on Infinity. I've done it for a lot of other games. Um, so I, I'll bug you. I'd like you to come on and like to talk talk about the game and, uh, and, and sell the game. So uh, people can look forward to us doing that in the near future. Uh, Pete, you have nothing to plug, right? I mean, I do, but whether you let me or not, that's, that's in your hand. Yeah, Wait, that's, Pete, let's do, talk, Pete, about, do people, talk about Do people still listen to your podcast? Oh, Absolutely. We have dozens of listeners, Mike. The, the, the five of us are never going to stop, Mike. We love yeah, us. We love I mean, each that's, other. More than, that's more than we had, so that's, all, that's good. <laughs> uh, no, no, I, I am a fanboy of Pete's podcast. So, Pete, talk about your podcast. Uh, yeah, so a couple of things. Just first off, if you come across a gamer and they tell you, like, well, I did play Guild Ball, man, scoop those guys up and scoop those girls up because they are they are amazing gamers. They're it's one of the most engaging friendly, just embracing community. I, I mean, there's people that I know around the world that I've met through events and it, they're just a unique breed. So bring them into your game, whether it's infinity or Malifaux or whatever. They'll make the game better. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to make it better just because yeah. unless really it's great. Alex spots, unless it's Alex spots. <laughs> I mean, does Alex, I mean, he's playing smash or something. I don't even know, but probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, just a little side note before I plug the podcast, I did play Alex spots once and he crushed me as expected didn't let anybody down. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the Rage Quit Wire podcast, we do a lot of gaming. We're kind of focused on Malifaux. Uh, Chris is infinity curious. Uh, he's too lazy to learn Bushido. So I don't know if we'll ever play that, but I, I told Chris, I'm like, if we're going to play Bushido, you got to learn it and you got to demo it and teach me. And we all know Chris and that's probably not going to happen. But <laughs> that's a lot of initiative. <laughs> if you like a lot of saltiness, if you like hearing, you know, about some of the more emotional stuff of gaming, I mean, we definitely get into it and, it, and it's interesting. We don't have the biggest, you know, followers or, you know, all that stuff, but the, the people that enjoy raging out game wise, they're going to love the podcast just because we like to dig into it and, and do what we do. Well, and that's, I mean, to be fair, Pete, um, that's a little bit of your shtick, right? But but the reality is, is that the two of you guys know what you're talking about. And that's why I enjoy the show. I mean, I, you guys make me laugh. Um, so that's part of it. But um, you guys have qualified voices. Um, even Chris sometimes has a qualified voice. Well, here's the funny, here's the funny thing, Craig. So we actually met Mike because Mike heard one of our early episodes <laughs> and he disagreed with us so much that I invited him on the podcast and I'm pretty sure he wanted to. I just shit talked Chris. <laughs> I knew I liked you, Mike. Uh, it was good. No, nah, I love Chris. He's he's a good guy. I like is Stokes uh, still doing episodes with you guys, or is he not playing games right now? Uh, he's actually playing Middle Earth. St John Stokes is our other uh, oh, host. Oh, sweet. So, I mean, when we talk Middle Earth, which that's kind of a weird kind of you know game i mean it doesn't have a huge following but in their area in the in the southeast they actually had a tournament in a brewery and they had like 40 people there so yeah i mean people this is like that game the gw game yeah it is i i demoed it uh, wait, I it's, it's lord right lord not war he's playing he's playing lord of the rings yeah. not war of the rings yeah it changed okay. it changed from war of the rings and um, no 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 two two separate That's systems two yeah, one's a mini game, uh, one's war, a war, game. War, war of the rings war of the rings they never did a second edition 
Uh, yeah, it was trade. It was top, trade based. Top, top, top three games GW has ever came out with. It's phenomenal. It's a great game. I it's played phenomenal. it when it came out. And phenomenal. Yeah, he Stokes is into that. Um, and yeah, he, he's still around. Yeah, and for for those of you that are uh, Malfo uh, players, um, if you have not checked out uh, Pete's series about uh, summarizing all of the different factions, uh, make sure that you check that out. Uh, Pete, have you been messing around with Explorers at all? Yeah, so I actually just started looking through all the cards because I've kind of been out of it with the new job and stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, there's some really cool things going on there. I'm, I'm definitely into it. I mean, but so is everybody else. I'm a- I'm going to be one of those people that probably holds back a little bit just because you're going to see explorers everywhere. It's uh, it's exciting that just the artwork alone has got me excited from as from a painting perspective. I think perspective. I can use the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex in my woe crew though, so I'm kind of and, excited about and, that. And Titania, it's, uh, it's that's, what it is. that's what it is. Yeah. I'm yep. excited about that. Yeah, and I've got that. I've got that 3D print uh, of that of that T Rex model, and you you got to see it in person, man. It's it's a gorgeous sculpt. Uh, the only thing that's tough is that you have to glue each individual tooth into the mouth. Oh, <laughs> man. So that kind of sucks. But <laughs> but once you get all the scales on it, then it's it's just it's a beautiful easy. model. Okay, awesome. <laughs> All right, guys, this was a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward to having all of you back uh, again. And for those of you that stuck around to the end, thanks for listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now, if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring, along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. All right. Um, I'll probably woke my son up. What did I do? No, I said, I think I woke my son up. Oh, sorry, man. (laughs) It's okay. He's used to it. How old is he? He's 12. Nah, fuck him. He, he yeah, still like he's not even a kid anymore. Is. Yeah, he is. He's probably, he's probably smoking a cigarette. <laughs> I will kill you. He's, he's, hoping you, he's hoping you don't hear him lie his joint. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, um, let's see. Uh, probably, probably because it's familiar. Um, Pete, do you mind if I start with you and we talk about Malifaux and what, what kind of what Malifaux has done for you? Sure. 
Oh wait, can you please? Uh, you you guys need to talk about this. This is a, Craig. You don't know this. The reason I don't, I I've tried to get into Malifaux, uh, and I have no problem with the rules for the most part. But um, Pete knows this. Pete, do you know what my big complaint with Malifaux is? I've ever told you what it is. I don't think you have. The uh, three times I have built, uh, or sorry, have bought uh, a starter pack or whatever to uh, uh, get into Malifaux, I, I picked bad choices uh, when building the models they exploded because like trying to trying to put together half of a of a what's it called a, a gatling gun barrel on one of those gremlins oh, yeah. literally i threw it against the wall <laughs> that's the way to pass it mike i i know you know what infinity's hard enough uh when it comes to that and they've gotten a lot they, better but yeah no, oh, God. infinity's new kits are actually pretty solid i was impressed they are yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but i have a shit ton of their old kits and oh, they yeah. are so hard I to had build. An old yeah. kit that was a mess i, I have several half built infinity models um but i hate that ma- i hate metal um but all right I'll bring it back. um all right I, I i'm probably going to start this off um because my take on that post was uh, different than a lot of people's well you're a reasonable person um and it hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it'll piss one piss one of you off and we can fight about it I'm gonna get my pet so, so glad I agreed to come on your stupid podcast, Craig. <laughs> nah. <laughs> All right, I'll bring this back. All right, who wants to start this one? Umi, Umi, whatever. You gotta be careful. <laughs> do go Pete. Uh, you got to be careful with the GW podcasts. You know, you might be listening to a, a Nazi podcast. Don't I don't know if you heard that. What's, what's his one name? The, the, the lore, the lore asshole. The, um, yeah, yeah, that oh, British, British guy. Who he's Norwegian. Terrible in his no, he's Norwegian. Nazi. Oh, is it? Well, he, right, he, he has a fake British, British accent. accent. Um, yeah, I don't God, know. What the hell is his name? Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I've seen like the tweets calling him out and stuff. And I'm just yeah, like. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he weighs 80 pounds wet. And and uh, I think my daughter's taller than he is. Yeah. Um, and, 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 <laughs> um, I mean, like the level of douchery that guy has. I can't believe I can't think of his name. Um, yeah. But. But I'm I mean, looking at like now. 40k. I mean, not necessarily racist, but it, 40k definitely breeds a lot of douchery in the community just by some of the nonsense that some of the players just like let by and accept. Yeah, it's it's two things. I think. I think one, it's the, it's the fact that it's huge, right? Yeah. So like, it's got a much bigger base. Yeah, so yeah, as a result, you know, you're going to end up with more assholes. Um, but um, there is something about the game though that attracts some douchey people like, well people there's people that I mean <laughs> that, that read the lore and don't realize like this is not good well, i mean <laughs> when you're talking about breeding you know yeah. super soldiers and stuff you can get right. some really crazy territory like 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 yeah, like this is being presented as a bad thing right like the imperium is not a good thing this is bad stuff and there's some people that read it like that's fucking cool it's like oh jesus christ but cheering on literal fascists that's yeah. Right. yeah exactly yeah. Exactly. Let's go yeah. for the Emperor of Man. What are you even talking about? What are you talking about? Anyway. 
I mean, I mean, you just have to don't even you don't even have to look the the a games workshop term. I mean, it's not the it's not originally a game workshop term, but uh, has made it into a political, popular, political American um, yeah. lexicon. God Emperor. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's a Dune thing. But, you know, they're not no. referring to Dune necessarily no, as much as they are referring to. Uh, yeah, Did you find my guy's name? Yeah. Did you, nah, did you I couldn't Google, find it. I just, a lot of Google, Nazis getting arrested. Google uh, Games Workshop douche and just the page was just like loaded forever. <laughs> it, was, it was Games Workshop Nazi and it was a lot of just uh, real Nazis. <laughs> and, and now you're on the government list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bill Barr will be knocking on your door. Probably. Uh, ask, Probably ask already. Me to join. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So I am going to, let's see. So you'll notice, and if it ends up we don't, end up making it two segments um that's fine but what i want to talk about is not the end what i want to talk about in this segment is like where when did we start seeing problems oh, what, there, what there were some, some early, key moments yeah there. what were some yeah, early thoughts definitely a lot. i i'm very interested what everybody else's answer is i have i have like a blaring uh i'm gonna start with i'm gonna go for me clockwise i'll go pete johnny then you mike yeah. all right all right sure sounds you still here look uh the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers well i mean if you're here might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take care